0: Welcome to Tech Law Talks, I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana from Reed Smith and welcome to our podcast series regarding e for financial services that we are providing with Smarsh. Today's podcast will focus on collaborative tools. I am joined today by Therese Caparo from Reed Smith and Blaine Warren from Smarsh. Welcome guys. So let's get started on an issue that I think is front and center for a lot of financial institutions as they sort of figure out what to do about these collaborative sites that we know is sort of exploding in terms of use. Therese, why don't you just give us sort of a brief overview of what regulators are thinking or guidance they've given on collaborative tools generally um, and what financial institutions should be thinking about, when they're thinking about collaborative tools?
1: Sure. So look, I, I think the most important thing to realize is that the regulators are thinking about collaborative tools and they are aware that collaborative tools are the wave of the future for communicating, that people are using them today. And they know that those collaborative tools have electronic communications functions within them, and it matters to them. And I think for everyone to keep in mind, if you look at the signals that the regulators have been sending, particularly FINRA, who tends to be out in front on giving guidance on these issues, you know, in in 2019, in the report on exam findings, there was a first reference to collaborative tools. Right. We know that people are using collaborative tools and that they have electronic communications functions and they need to be compliant. It was raised again in the 2020 risk monitoring and examinations priority letter, saying that we're focusing on collaborative sites and the use of these sites and and how they're being used and any red flags for use that's inappropriate and the like. They said it again in 2021 on uh, the report and risk monitoring examination, where again, there was a reference to these interactive tools and collaboration tools as a means of communicating. And then, you know, if, if folks are aware in the fall of 2021, FINRA issued guidance by way of an FAQ on the advertising rule, talking about the use of collaborative tools during live meetings and whiteboarding and polling and identified those as communications that need to be properly surveilled um, and retained. So the regulators are watching, they're looking to see if the industry is on top of collaborative sites and are making sure they are compliant in their use of collaborative sites. So it is certainly not a technology or a type of communicating that has gone unnoticed.
0: Yeah. And and on that front, I mean, look, we know that there's a lot of pressure from the businesses and, you know, their customers and like to use these collaborative tools. So, Blaine, what are you seeing in terms of clients trying to deal with this issue in terms of trying to meet their regulatory requirements, particularly the electronic communications regs that that we've been talking about
2: in all this podcast series? Certainly. And, and thanks for having me, Anthony and Therese. Uh, you know, the, the number one thing was the accelerant in 2020. When you think about all the organizations we work with collectively, where they have a run the organization and transform the organization. So they're always staying in line or in step with what's next for how to be efficient as an org and work with their clients. And that acceleration went from a three to five year plan to, in some cases, we saw it shrink to 90 days even for very large organizations. So that accelerant caused this mass deployment of many tools and then a reassessment of what was actually active. Um, And that's a trigger for anybody who helps these organizations with compliance because the roadmap changed and we re-equipped with how to address. And the three big things I would pull out of it is, one, understand and define what is a compliance moment, And what is not? Because within every collaboration tool, there are elements that are simply not compliance related. They're functions that don't need to be supervised. However, uh, there's that blurry area in the middle, like reactions, praise, emoji, where they do need to be factored in. And that leads to the second, which is partner both with your collaborative provider and any of your providers around you to make sure that we understand what can be monitored and captured. And when will something that is not available be monitored and captured so that that game plan is there that allows organizations to pull the levers on what's available, what's on and what's not. And the last is really listening well, everybody involved, because lots of times just figuring out what will be next, sometimes it's driven by clients, sometimes it's driven by the C-suite, and sometimes it's driven by the line level employees. Listening well helps us figure out how to force rank, how to solve the problem incrementally, right? We have to solve it in steps rather than in one big waterfall.
0: And, and what, are the, what are the types of, like, just in terms of the collaborative tools that, that your organization has been working with these financial institutions on in terms of trying to capture? What are the types of collaborative tools that you're, you're seeing that they're trying to capture?
2: Sure. I mean, the the biggest in the room, of course, is uh, Microsoft 365, so Microsoft Teams, because it's versatile not only for what Skype provided for us, which was internal collaboration and chat, but now it's a meeting tool. It's a true shared work tool with many plugins from many different applications that both an organization, their constituents use. Um, That's key. The whole realm, you can see Zoom and Slack in there. Uh, you see some home-baked collaboration tools that become a part of the industry. Think of a symphony that takes from different corners of of the tooling that is used in financial services, uh, where you have to work very closely with the provider as much as you do with your customers to make sure that the roadmaps align what should be next. Um, oftentimes, the customers will inform Microsoft what should be next. So those are the big tools in there.
1: Yeah, and the one thing I would add to that is whiteboards, the level of request and demand from the businesses for the use of whiteboarding tools. So you know, Microsoft has one, but there's others like Miro and Mural and others that are out there. But that seems to be a very big push on the business side to want to use these interactive whiteboards where people can post notes and change things in real time to work with one another and to collaborate. And, you know, I think that the the financial industry has been looking at those closely and trying to figure out how do you, how do you capture and surveil a real-time collaborative whiteboard, you know, that where people are communicating with one another.
0: Yeah. And then the difference between, you know, like if we're doing a Teams chat or a, a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting, you're obviously could dipl- display stuff, right? You could obviously display a PowerPoint or whatever. They seem to be making a distinction between that and a whiteboard, we're actually changing changing the, the the content on the fly, I guess, during the meeting. And that seems to be one of the distinctions they're making, although it's hard to tell. So, Therese, what are the challenges? I mean, what should legal and compliance in particular, when they're talking to the IT and the business, like what should they be talking about? What questions they should be asking about the use of whiteboards, polling, or whatever other collaborative site they're using?
1: Well, I mean, I think the first question is one that Blaine alluded to in his t- topic, which is, does the tool have, right, compliance-related functions? That's number one. Does this particular collaborative site have e-coms functionality that needs to be retained um, and surveilled? And that, that that's the first question. I think when you look at these tools, they're not always an obvious, it doesn't say email or communication, right? They're, they have a different uh, name or a different functionality. So the number one is, mm-hmm. what's the functionality so you can determine if there is a compliance consideration? The the number, the second one is, right, can it be captured? Is there already a functionality for that particular tool that is compliant? And then, you know, number three is, if not, <laughs> right, Can can I make it compliant or can I turn it off? And if you turn it off, what's the business impact? right? The business always thinks they're an impact, but sometimes there's a genuine impact on how the tool operates and the value of the tool. And, you know, sometimes there just really isn't, or there's a way around it or another way for the business to be able to do what they need to do. But I think the key issue really is understand the tool and the business use so that you can make that determination of what is the compliance requirement if there is one.
0: Yeah. And and again, it gets into the, like one of the things I'm thinking about, Teresa, is like we've seen this one SharePoint, right? SharePoint Online has discussion boards and there are challenges associated with, you know, if do you use it? If they're using it, certainly a collaborative probably would be considered an e-com because it's a discussion board. It's literally called a discussion board. But then there's challenges associated with capturing that or whiteboard changes. And like, I know identity management is one of the key ones, which is, we can capture it, but we don't know who is actually involved. So if you could give a little talk, and obviously, Blaine, I'd like to hear from you from just a practical standpoint, what people are doing. But Therese, could you just explain sort of why that matters, right? It's not enough to be captured. What are the elements that you need to capture?
1: Sure. Um, I think there's a few things there. One, you're right. Identity management matters. Because once it's if it's being captured and when it's going in, it needs to be associated with people so that you can, one, find it when you need to find it. And two, make sure you apply appropriate retention to it. And three, can find it to surveil it for the people who you surveil. And I think, look, we've seen this with Bloomberg in the past too, right? Are you getting just the person who wrote the words or just the person who made the post? Are you getting everyone who could see and read that post or what's written there? So, I mean, I think that that is one, is it going in? Two is, are there residual features to it, things like an emoji or a meme, or a sticker, or a post-it note, are those being captured, right? Are the residual artifacts related to it that add context to the communication? Is that being captured? And I think maybe the biggest challenge with these collaborative sites is when they are real time, what does it mean to capture, right? If you capture the whiteboard at the end of the two hour meeting, You're only going to see what was there at the end of the two-hour meeting. And if somebody erased it, you're going to have something that's blank. You know, if you're changing it throughout the day, what are you capturing? Can you capture the changes that were made? Is there a log that can be captured and stored with the whiteboard or the tool? When you're talking about polling, are you getting just the question? Are you getting the answers? And do you know who answered the question and how they answered that question. So we think there's a lot of pieces around what am I, what am I capturing, what am I capturing, and how do I use it once it goes into write my archive? How do I get it out, and how do I find it?
0: Yeah. And Blaine, how do, what are you seeing in terms of practical how people are addressing this?
2: Sure. And and I do, Trace hit on something really important that's worth amplifying, and it actually relates to what you've just asked me, which is, for example, in any kind of collaboration. There's someone creating content, someone created an event, brought people to the event, and now there's action. There's activity happening of some sort in there, whether it's chat or other things. And the control events that happen help us have a lot of context. If, if we are gathered here and we're working on a document together and Anthony leaves and we continue, that's an important piece of context if something happened after Anthony left and so that's actually done in the metadata i know this can get boring for some folks but certainly not for compliance the event driven and control driven events are really important and that's also an example where collaboration providers are incrementing and learning how to iterate in their roadmap and be a bit more agile and that is you know inc- iterating how they improve the accuracy and the level of detail on those control events and we obsess over those uh, and so that's why we release so frequently as well, is to make sure that as each of these capabilities gets emerges, uh, there's a better bit of context we can provide for customers. Yeah. And so have you
0: have you had any success? I guess in sort of capturing and, and storing whiteboards, for example, or polling, or some of the ones we are discussion boards from SharePoint. Like what are, what are you seeing? Are you, are they trying? What are the
2: what are you seeing so far? Sure. On SharePoint's an interesting component in collaboration because unlike a lot of collaboration tools, SharePoint actually has a vast number of what we call content types. Right? There's only so many things you can do in Teams, whereas SharePoint literally has nearly 100 things. And so what we do as an example with SharePoint is figure out what of those are being heavily leveraged in our compliance-driven events, and we bring those in. Uh, The providers, again, have been really pretty good at at being focused on where customers are going. So now that they've rolled them out and had time in hand over the past year and a half, you're starting to see the requests for, hey, we now need to understand how to capture breakout rooms. We now need to understand how to capture polling and Q&A. And one of the big topics in the industry right now is, you know, how do we handle meetings between other parties where the data lives in multiple tenants. And so, you know, that's a challenge that we're all looking at with the providers and customers uh, to figure out what to do specific to the latest emergence, which is whiteboards. We're starting to see and interact with some of the providers that uh, Therese mentioned, which is the ability to work with providers who may build compliance functionality. They have a rich tool that's plugged into 365 And it creates this great level of productivity because it's interactive. And now it's almost as if the industry can help them understand the tooling that they can build to make sure that we can provide compliance at scale. And so Therese,
0: I mean, obviously this is all happening. And one of the things, if you haven't gotten this impression, it is a moving target, right? So these collaborative tools are released and then people say, hey, Is it compliant? And it's already being used. So obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it'd be better if we actually, you know, did the vetting beforehand. But the reality is, as we talked about up front, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to use a lot of these tools. So Therese, I think specifically, I'd like to sort of finalize on like, what do you do where you're a large organization? Not everybody has these regulations, you know, Apply to them, right? You're the broker-dealers, investment advisor, all that kind of stuff. But there's often other people in the financial institution that don't have these requirements and they're often the ones that are also want to use these tools. So what do you do there? Like what's, what's the approach in terms of, I'm going to say best practices, but what are you seeing clients do in terms of navigating that aspect of it?
1: Look, I think this is still a real challenge because a lot of organizations do have or are trying to put in place Right. Identity mechanisms to identify, flag, this is my regulated population. We've had lots of debates of how you defined your regulated population, but this is my regulated population who are subject to the electronic communications requirements. I'm going to identify them. I'm going to have an integrated way of doing that so that I can make sure that these tools, either they are blocked from use, or there is selective use, right? And that depends on the tool. Some tools you can say, I'm only going to give access to the people who right, are allowed to use it because they're not regulated if you cannot capture it and surveil it properly. And some you know, times it's a, I have to block usage because it has to be available for the entire organization. 365 does this quite a bit, but I can block certain users from using certain tools right? But having that identity mechanism, a compliance and governance structure in place to know who those people are, having a technology mechanism for tracking them and updating them as changes if you're an organization that has folks that fall into the two different groups, and making sure you have the technical mechanisms or the governance procedures to make sure those people are added or blocked. Now, look, the ideal would be that we can capture it so everyone can use it. Um, we know, though, that that takes time. So there's a, you know, can I roll it out selectively. Uh, the other challenge that we've seen, and I don't know really that there's a good way around it, is a lot of organizations have regulated people who are working with those who are not regulated, right? And then you have this combination where, well, one group can use it and the other group cannot. And I don't know, honestly, that there's a good way to overcome that at this point in time if you cannot make it fully compliant, right? It may be a situation that in the short short term, people are saying, well, If you're a combined group you can't use it you know we're just gonna let you know our group people who are not regulated use it and not our regulated folks until we have a fuller more compliant solution and then we can roll it out to everyone but the the cross working you know conundrum is one that i is still quite a challenge yeah
0: and as we emphasize in all these podcasts governance 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 right you've got to figure this out beforehand. Doing it retroactively and trying to fix the problem is, is harder. And I think, Blaine, one of the things you mentioned, Teresa, you talked about you know, these collaborative sites. You say, okay, we're going to turn it off for certain people. And then they may be working within the organization. It's the same is true for customers, right? They're working with customers or other people that are using these tools. And when they're on the Teams call or Zoom call and it's suddenly being used, like, can you control that? That's harder. Um, and again, I think this is another goes back to governance is you have to control who's using it, but also, you know, who they're using it with. And I think that's another really hard challenge that I think people are trying to get their heads around. So there's a lot lot to digest here. I think it was worth having a, a podcast just on collaborative sites because I think it is a really interesting issue and there's lots more to come. So obviously, thank you both for this. I think it was really informative. Certainly, people listening, we're going to have future podcasts on similar topics so watch out for that. Hope you join us then. Thanks all. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at readsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Readsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.